We are finally bringing to you part four of our series on the NAR. Now, this is the second half that will tie in with part three. So if you haven't listened to part three, you got to go back and listen to part three. You're going to be a whole lot of lost. So we previously recorded this episode. So you're going to hear us kind of jump in and transition to it. We had had to record this one because it was a long one. It was a long one. And we had a lot to cover. And even though we had about 10 minutes left of audio, it took us about an hour to get through it. So, yeah, this will be quite the treat for you guys. So you're listening to the part four of the New Apostolic Reformation. And this is The Warcast, the official podcast of War Cry Media. So without any further ado, we're going to jump straight into part four of our topic regarding the NAR. All right, we are back for the second half of part three. We are going to jump right back into playing clips of uh, the proponents and main speakers. Well, there's many main speakers, but we're just playing a few of the new apostolic reformation. So if you're jumping into this second half of part three and you haven't listened To the other parts, go back to part one, start there, or if you've listened to part one and part two, listen to the first half of part three as we cover people like Bill Johnson, Mike Bickle, Todd White, and Todd Bentley. So now we're going to move into another clip of Heidi Baker, and as we talked about on the last part, we, we started off playing more... I guess you could call them theological clips. Um, They're not super in-depth theological clips, but you kind of get a theological background of each of the speakers. Um, So you kind of get to hear Heidi Baker talk a little bit about how she uh, thinks about the supposed encounters with the Spirit she has. You get to hear from Bill Johnson about what he thinks is a gospel issue, and he anathematizes anybody who doesn't think the gospel includes absolute healing. And then you got to hear from Todd Bentley and Todd White um, that they're the new breed. They're the next generation of the NAR leaders. And you got to hear that Todd uh, Bent, yeah, Bentley, right? Todd Bentley. Oh, I mix them up now. Who's got the dreads? Todd White. Todd White. So, okay, let me rephrase. Todd White talking about how the gospel is not the revelation of his sin, but of how much he is valued and worth and his sponsorship of someone like, um, oh man, what's his name? Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> Copeland. Struggling this morning. Mm-hmm. So you get the theological background, um, and we did that on purpose. A lot of times people hear those things and they're not as concerned about those things, but you have to know that when we get to the the stuff we're playing today, which is the the charismatic, or it's kind of like the charismatic chaos, the 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 hystericalness, the the weirdness of it is all based around the theology. So we played that in the first half. The second half is kind of just covering the um, the actual outworking of those things. So we're going to start playing these clips, and we're going to hopefully finish these clips up. 
and I see a very strange vision right now where I see crowns within crowns within crowns within crowns within crowns within crowns. And as soon as you take the crown off and place it on the child, I see like a pyramid of crowns upon the child's head. And they take the largest one off and place it on another. And there's another one there. And I see this, this, um, I, I feel like there's this, it's like a mountain of provision of anointing. The more you give away, the more you will receive, says the Lord. Now, I want to comment on that and, uh, and, and, and just ask something. And Dave, you can throw something in if you want. I want, if you're a listener to this, if you are sympathetic towards someone like Heidi Baker or Bill Johnson or whoever it is, just, just hear me out and do something like this. Open up your Bible and go to the prophet Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 31. Or open up to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel 36 and 37. Or open up to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 6. Go to Isaiah 11. Go to Isaiah 44. Go to Isaiah 65. And I want you to hear those prophets and hear what they sound like when they give a prophecy. And then I want you to compare it to how Heidi Baker just sounded about her giving a prophecy. And then I want you to think, is what she said and the way she said it at all similar to any of the prophets? And the reason I ask that is, you go to any of those prophets, any of those chapters uh, of Scripture that I mentioned, and you're not going to get the idea that what she just said, you have to like somehow reinterpret in order to make any sense out of what she just said. I mean, she just said nonsense. That, that means absolutely nothing what she just said it, it none of it makes sense <laughs> it it's it, there's no like uh there, there's nothing logical to it there's nothing rational to it and there's nothing even um there's nothing even like poetic about what she said like if you read you know the if if you read the prophets as they as they give prophecy and they speak of future things or if they or if they give a prophecy speaking to the situation um, at hand one it makes sense what they're saying Two, it doesn't sound the way Heidi Baker says um, um, prophecy sounds, and and three, there's there's almost like a, a poetic beauty to it as well, even if there's details that we don't exactly know what they're referring to, it 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 doesn't sound like it's just you know like hogwash. It's not like you know blue sleeps faster than Tuesday says the Lord. Uh, it's something that makes sense, and listening to her uh, to say that is just. It, it doesn't, it just has, I mean, it does, it just doesn't. It makes absolutely no sense. Well, that's at all. Uh, the language of the NAR too. The, they love that word anointing. And to just say that, you know, crowns within crowns, within crowns, within crowns, within crowns, within crowns, within crowns, and you take it off and put it on the person's head next to you. And it's a endless provision of anointing says the Lord at the end. And we listened to, that was a good memory. <laughs> Well, I've actually seen that clip a couple of times. And if you watch it, it's, I believe it's at Bethel and it's in front of a room full of, you know, a thousand people or more. And they're all practicing taking invisible crowns off each other's heads and placing them onto each other's heads. And uh, I mean, there's a, a lot to break down in that statement, but just beginning with the fact that last time we heard Mike Bickle talk about, I mean, we're not like the Old Testament. We don't say, thus says the Lord or anything. We just say, you know, I think this is what God wants to say. But she ends it with says the Lord. So she's saying that God is telling you 
to take an invisible crown off of your head and place it onto the person next to him. And he's giving them an endless provision of anointing, whatever that even means. I mean, and she's saying that the Lord is saying this, that if you don't do this, you're in direct disobedience to God's command to you at that moment, which is to take an invisible crown off your head and place it on the person next to you. And even that that talking of this is an endless provision of the Lord's anointing. I mean, what is, if we look biblically, what is our endless provision, if we would even use the terms, which I wouldn't, of, of an anointing from the Lord? The Bible says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and that that's a down payment for the day of when we will be redeemed for Christ. So I would argue that if there's some special anointing or whatever she's talking about from the Lord, that it would be us being redeemed by God, being quickened and awakened by the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit placed within us. And 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 that is the anointing of the Lord, that we are given the third member of the Trinity to live and dwell within us and to be sealed for the day of redemption. It's not that we take invisible crowns off of our head and put them on someone else, and that gives an endless provision of anointing. And then to say, to say, says the Lord, or thus says the Lord, uh, to make it equal with Scripture. She's making what she just said equal with Scripture when she says, thus says the Lord. And so she's saying that me telling you that this invisible crown gives you an endless provision of anointing is just as authoritative as the Bible saying that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You know, and so how dangerous are those things to just make up your own Scripture and and like you said, to say it in a way that makes, uh, it sounds like a C.S. Lewis book or something. I mean, it's, it doesn't, it's just incoherent, you know, but uh, once again, the whole basis going back to the weirder it is, the more of God it is, you know, and that constantly plays out in the way they speak and visions that they have. And so, yeah. And, uh, I think that's it. I'm glad you kind of flushed that out too, because it's, that that's just one of the things we had brought up too is um you you know like with Mike Bicklin he was the perfect example and I'm I'm actually really glad we played that clip now because it is it's it's the example of like getting a politician to sit down in front of a you know a, a TV screen and being excuse interviewed everything yeah and excuse everything or be able to talk his way out of everything or to nuance everything to where it's like, well, you know, we don't we don't believe in prophecy this way. We would never say, you know, I'm going to bank my whole life on this or that. But w- once you start playing clips of them talking at conferences and all these events and at churches and at Bethel and all these different places, it never works out like that. I mean, if you were to come, if someone were to walk up on stage and say, yeah, I think Heidi Baker is a false teacher, you'd get shut down super fast. And I, you mentioned this video. I, uh, you know, if you were to go and, and find this video where I pulled the audio from, in the video you can hear that there's a kid in this video who who's like screaming, which I think we'll hear a little bit. Yeah, of it, and and you and if you hear it, it's I mean, it literally sounds like this kid got lit on fire or something. And if you if you watch the video, instead of like people coming or well, I mean, people are around him, but they're kind of like leaving him alone. Um, security, uncomfortable. Yeah, they're uncomfortable. And and halfway through, um, you actually see. I think Bill Johnson is in the crowd, and he's talking to security guards and having them go down there to be like, 
all right, this is a little too, you know, like now yeah. you're starting to freak people out. But uh, but he looks possessed. That's yes. the thing is I don't even think it's not like they could come over to him and be like, okay, you got to stop now. You're going a little too far. Like he looks like he has lost control of his body. Mm-hmm. He's screaming, looks like he's in immense physical pain. And he's rolling like a log on the ground, screaming violently. I mean, it looks like something that you see on like the Exorcist movie. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that is like a violent possession is what it looks like. And uh, God doesn't order us to lose complete control of our bodies and uh, put us into some frenzy. I mean, that is Hinduism. You know, that's Kundalini spirit where they lose control of their mind and they run around. Uh, I mean, we we listened, at least me and you did, and I'm sure others heard the stuff from um, Apologia, but they mentioned a documentary, Wild Wild Country. And so I've been watching some of that on Netflix. And I mean, the stuff you see them doing in that documentary, this this Kundalini spirit that they try to awaken by practicing meditation and basically letting themselves go and letting their mind be taken over and their body be taken over. It looks exactly the same. You cannot tell the difference yeah. between that uh, spirit that's causing that and the spirit that, and, and and once again, we go back to the Bible. When does the Bible ever, ever tell you? I mean, I, I just plead that I plead to just read the Bible and tell me where you can find in the Bible that it tells you to let your mind go and to just be taken over by something by that you spirit. can't control. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible tells us a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Mm-hmm. And yet they want to tell you that the more you're out of control, the more the Holy Spirit is is moving in you. It's, I mean... How many times can they say something that is completely opposite of what the scripture says? Not even that it can align with the scripture, but it's literally opposite, antithetical to what scripture teaches. And yet we we don't recognize that and say, okay, the Bible says a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And they're telling me to lose control, let go of control, be possessed by whatever they're doing and, and lose control of my body. Yeah. So what do we do when the Bible says be in self-control and you know that you have the spirit and the other people say lose control and you know you have the spirit? Yeah. Which one is right? The Bible or Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson and these other people, which one is right? Yeah, you know? and I mean, think of the deception that it brings too. And this, and, and and this is the this is the probably one of the most deceiving aspects of it is the majority of people who are influenced by NAR stuff or get involved in any kind of Bethel you know stuff, unless they're going to the school and they're getting really high up in it and they're really really getting entrenched into um, the ideology. Most of them are going to attend, like you said, the, the shows with the music. They're going to go to a service. They're going to experience other people around them who are going through these things. And they may just get an emotional high. Mm-hmm. They may work themselves up into something. But what it really does to people, and I think it causes people to chase this and continually open themselves up to this, is because they're not experiencing what they're seeing. You know, they're either working themselves up into it or they're wondering, like, how can I get that? How can Mm. I get more of what these people have? And that's this, I mean, that's this, the deception of it. And it just, I mean, it reminds me of that text in, in uh, first Timothy three, where, or first Timothy, second Timothy three, where he talks about, um, you know, 
false teachers will, will arise and, and go from bad to worse, and they'll go on deceiving and being deceived. And so while they're going on uh, deceiving others, they themselves are being deceived more and more. And man, it's it's crazy to hear those stories. And I like we we record, uh, recommended this last time, uh, but we would recommend listening to that Apologia series as well because they they get to interview a girl who was in Bethel's school, and it's it's three it's a three part series. I I would I would more than welcome you listening to all three of them in conjunction with listening to this and just hearing the testimonies and just also hearing the things where, I mean, this is a girl who, who comes out of it, but she doesn't become this anti supernatural person. She goes, there are things you experience in there. That is a real experience that you cannot just explain away. And there's a lot of things that people who come out of these situations and, 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 uh, whether it's, with Bethel or Charismania itself who have real experiences. And what was the documentary you said? What was the documentary called? Um, wild, wild country. Okay. So we'll, we'll reco that too. I'm, I'm actually going to put that and apologia uh, thing in the show notes. So there's links to it. So you guys can go click on those things and watch, but man, you hear those stories of people who are involved in, in, in those, uh, those sects of Hinduism Mm-hmm. And it's just like they they are telling you in no uncertain terms, we are opening ourselves up to a spirit. Yep. There's they're searching for a spirit. They're not searching for just an emotional hide by music. I mean, these people don't have, you know, rock shows and lights and smoke and dimly lit rooms. Mm-hmm. They're I mean, they're what, they're in, you know, dirt houses and stuff like that. And but they're still they're they're seeking a spirit. And we we just want to co- just think about what you're pursuing when you're when you're going towards stuff like this. And that's the thing too. If you watch that wild wild country, there's images in there. Obviously, it wouldn't work perfectly because they look like they're all dressed like they're in the '70s because they are '70s or '80s, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you were if they were in the same clothes as today, I mean we could take something from that's recorded in India where they're practicing Hinduism in that same way f- flailing around and twitching violently and yelling and crying and if we took that and we put it on the internet and we said revival going on at Bethel you wouldn't know nobody would know the difference they would think <laughs> that that's actually happening at Bethel right then and people would go there to participate in it yeah and it would actually be a Hindu celebration but I wanted to read too because um just as you were talking about the false teachers and Timothy as he's laying it out and is that first or second Timothy I believe that's first okay but I'm, I could be totally wrong I can look that up as well right now. But in Jude, we were reading it as a family last night, and I was just seeing the, <laughs> I mean, how similar it is. He he talks about certain people have crept in, this Jude verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And so... And then he goes on to say, denying the master, our Lord Jesus Christ. But that is the epitome of this, of the new apostolic reformation. It's all sensuality. It's all about the senses because sensuality isn't just sexual immorality. It's, sure. it's anything to do with the senses that anything that you can give yourself into the senses to the, 
to the something you can see them giving themselves over to this violent shaking and twitching and yelling and rolling on the ground and crying and laughing and the feeling you get from the worship and the feeling you get from loving God. And if you don't have this feeling, it's all about sensuality. When we go later on to verse eight, in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones, speaking Mm. of the angels. So, I mean, and then we see right after verse 9, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So how often do we see these people, one, relying on their dreams? I mean, if there's anything you can say about the NAR, it is relying on their dreams. Jude says that's a mark of a false teacher right there. That's a mark of, a, of someone who's sneaking in to the faith, hopping over the wall and not going through the gate of Jesus Christ, and yeah. then deceiving people, relying on their dreams, defiling the flesh, rejecting authority. They don't hold to the true teaching of the apostles once for all delivered to the saints. They reject that authority. They reject the authority of the Bible. If their if their dreams contend with the Bible, they say, oh, we'll stop listening to that legalistic black and white stuff. <laughs> yeah. We got to be more fluid. We got to get out of the box. Just as she said on that Apologia podcast, they told all the time they said, you got to go out of the box. You got to go off the map, they would call it, which mm-hmm. means out of the Bible. So we reject the authority of the Bible. I mean, it's laid out clearly right here in Jude. You can go here and there's three or four marks that we've already listed today yeah. that put them in the realm of false teaching, let alone, I mean, we haven't even, we talked last week about the false prophecies that they don't want to call false because then they'll be known as false teachers. But you see in the other places of scripture, their God is their belly, mm-hmm. um, meaning that they live by the flesh. They live for um, not by faith, because the Bible says it, so they believe it, but they live by their God being their belly, being their flesh. If if they feel something, but the Bible tells them something else, they go by their feeling. They live by their flesh. And so uh, all these things that are listed as false teachers, they hit every mark of them. Yeah. So then uh, it's just so sad that when it can be proven from the Bible, um, these things that that people want to say, oh, we're just being mean or we're just being unloving, but we're striving to be as loving as we can to get you to beg you to hold to God's word and forsake anyone that that you can see in God's word is a, a false teacher. Yeah. And then, yeah, so in First in Timothy is where he lists out the warning against false teachers starting in verse 3 is what I believe you were talking about before. Yeah. So. Well, and, and, and the reason I was bringing that up is the, the the scary thing and the reason why we're doing something like this is not just to critique, it's to warn too, because you got to think these, I, I believe many of the people in the NAR um, are themselves deceived. So they they are going on and deceiving, but oftentimes when we think of false teachers, and there are false teachers like this, I think somebody like, um, you know, like a um, Benny Hinn, or uh, let me, what's another person I'm trying to think of right now? Yeah, Benny Hinn, or or say. Man, I'm like (laughs) blanking on names this morning. Like, and I know what he's talking about. Um, 
but there are certain people where it really does just seem like an act yeah. on stage. And yeah. if you so if you ever listen to someone like Costi Hinn, who was uh, Benny Hinn's nephew and would travel with him, and he actually came out of um, that false gospel, the mm-hmm. prosperity gospel, and is now a Christian. And when he recounts the stories, you know, they would go and do all these things at um, in stadiums and conferences and healings and, you know, these huge healing revivals. And real sick people would actually be turned away. They'd be pushed to the back. They wouldn't be allowed to come up front. And people who just had, you know, normal little ailments that they could somehow spin or twist in a moment, they would bring up. But then afterwards, they're going, I mean, you know, they're staying in foreign countries in the finest hotels. Mm -hmm. They're staying in rooms that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. $25,000 a night for one night. And they're eating the most expensive foods and driving the best cars. And he, I mean, so when you hear something like that, I mean, there's fakers out there. They know, you know, they know when they're going up on stage. All right. You know, got to make that money. Yeah. Daddy's got to make that money. Got to put on the act, you know, put on the white fancy suit. But there are people I think like Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson. They really, they are sold out for what they believe but it's because they themselves are being deceived. And that's why I, I bring that verse up is we, there's a love we have to have for these people too, to say, look, not only are they deceiving, we want to warn you, they're deceived themselves. And the Bible is clear that they, they deceive and go on being deceived. And, uh, that, that, that's the, that's the warning for other people is the more you get into this, the more will not only will you go on deceiving others, but you will actually be deceived more yourself. Yeah. And as we, I mean, as we continue the clips, I don't think I've made it as clear as I should since we've started this, that I was in this movement, mm-hmm. you know, before. Yeah, and, for a couple and, of years, right? Yeah, and I was trying to do all of this stuff. I wanted to go to Bethel. I wanted to be a part more of it. Um, I wanted to be more integrated into it, and I tried to be. And I do it because, I mean, we may we may joke here and there. We may sound... Like we're really just trying to blast these people off the face of the earth, but I do it because I truly do for ultimately first and foremost, I want to, we are told to to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, which this is different from that. Yeah. We are to defend God's glory and his honor and the true gospel. So first and foremost, we are to fight for God's holiness and his glory and his honor and his all his attributes, which is number one, why I want to do this. But number two, we are called to love people as well. And and I desire to be a help. I desire to help people see the danger of this and, and, and coming out of that movement. And you hear time and time again, if you listen to the Apologia podcast, you hear people coming out of that and now they are so confused. They have to, the girl talks about it, that she spent days and weeks and months trying to undo everything that she's been taught as now she's pouring over the scriptures and realizing how much false was poured poured into her and taught to her and now having to undo it all and you watch you watch American gospel and the lady coming out of the prosperity gospel and the hurt and the harm that was done to her and the tears that she's in realizing how far she went into something that was false and this movement hurts people again and again and again and again 
And then people realize from reading the word of God that they've been lied to and everything that has to be undone. And and so we're doing this podcast to plead with you to recognize the truth in God's word and Mm -hmm. to come out of that movement, not to wound you, not to not to make fun of you, not to. Um, make fun of the people that are deceived themselves like Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson. I, they do need to repent because they are going to be held accountable far higher than the people that are in the movement because they're teaching these things. But we desire them to repent as well. We desire them to come to know Christ truly and to let go of the shenanigans and hold to God's word alone. Um, but I just, I don't think I've made that clear that we desire to be a help. We desire to love, we desire to be compassionate and to lead people out of these false movements. It's not love, um, to lead people down these, these roads of lies. It's love to warn them that you're in danger and to please read the the word of the Lord and come out of that movement. That's our desire. So I think as these clips get more and more, um, weird sounding and crazy sounding and we start to really hit on what's wrong about them that we're doing it out of love we're doing it because we want you to see god for who he truly is and worship him rightly more lord everybody place place that anointing that crown that gift upon someone else's head Keep praying, every single one of you, impartation, legacy, 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 increase your glory. just back to your point when you're listening to that i mean that that first part you're hearing the end of of heidi baker who's leading this whatever you want to call it i don't even know what it is madness yeah madness and you hear that kid screaming as she's saying fire fire you know placing it on people's heads and you just got to think to yourself i I doubt that kid's faking that you know where he's screaming and and you you do hear of those stories where, where these spirits do come upon people and I mean, I can't remember. There was there was one episode um, um, I was listening to of that Apologia thing, and you do hear what some, one of them talk about some of the people who you get into these frenzies, and it is you, like there's some spirit comes upon you, and it's painful. Like it really mm-hmm. is painful. There's a there's a uh, not o- there's not only like a physical aspect to it, but there is a spiritual. It 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 just it comes upon you, and these things take over and. Uh, it's scary to think of, but you had, and, and I mean, but then you just have that next clip of just, you know, you hear the laughter and the the hysteria, and it, and you hear him say, you know, uh, that that they're that they're out of control and stuff, and it just goes directly to what you were saying of, it, read the New Testament, you don't get any idea, not once, that being out of control 
and and being um, in uncontrollable laughter and shaking and you know rolling on the floor and and crying out these different things and yelling out fake tongues, you know, like Shaba, you know, and all these different things as if that is what the Bible um, talks about Christian spirituality looking like. Instead, it's marked. I mean, one of the markings of it is self-control. And there's other, I mean, obviously there's other markings, but I mean, just if you're, if you're listening to that, just ask yourself, does that sound like what the Bible says? Because you can't just say to yourself, well, that's what I've experienced. That's what God's like. It's like, well, how do you know what God is like? You have something you're comparing to, to say God is like this. And we're, we're asking you, if you call yourself Christian, to look at the Bible and then look and, and, and hear and see what's going on there and, and ask yourself, is this really what the Bible talks about? Okay. Well, yeah, real quick, now. too, though. I just wanted to comment on the stuff you hear Heidi Baker doing. I would challenge anybody who's listening who's not in agreement with what we're saying, I guess, but to, to find, try to find in the Bible an instance where the people of God are gathered together and there's something like that going on where there's not a actual coherent preaching of God's word or a revelation given by the apostles or Christ himself being taught to people? Did Christ ever gather people around and just start saying random things, legacy, 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 over and over, then throw in a random Shabba Baba? And then where, if you can find that in the Bible, I urge you, I plead with you to go and look through the Bible because the one time that I can think of that we can see two different people gathered together, false prophets that are worshiping an, uh, a, a demon, Baal, and we see uh, we see Elijah uh, saying that it's time to worship the one true God. We see the pro- Elijah telling the prophets of Baal, go ahead and call down fire from Baal and see yeah. if he'll light the <laughs> altar for you. And they start going into a frenzy yeah. and they start dancing around and they start um, going crazy and yeah, cutting th- themselves, yeah. screaming. And, and Elijah says, maybe he doesn't hear with you, hear you. Maybe he's on the toilet yeah. mocking him. So yeah. And then they start cutting themselves and slashing themselves and losing control uh, to try and get a hold of the demon that they want to help them. Yeah. And then Elijah prays a coherent prayer to the Lord, um, and the fire comes down from the altar. So if we want to look at an account where there's the people of God and the people of Satan together in one area, which one of those people are the ones that are sounding more like what's happening right there? It's the false prophets of Baal. So we see once again the opposite in the scriptures proving that um, this is not a move of God. It's actually okay. the opposite. Now, God turns the tables on you. 1997. So let me give you a little background to this one. This is Sid Roth interviewing uh, Bill Johnson and his wife throughout these clips. So it's a mixture of... Um, of different clips, but we'll, we'll comment as we go through them. You're in Toronto. From what I understand, Bill had this great experience, but you didn't have any dramatic type of experience yeah. until 
that day in 1997, yes. what happened yes. to you? Well, we were leaving the meeting and we were sitting up in front and I had my arm in Bill's arm and we were walking and leaving and we got to the back where the mezzanine is and I was minding my own business. I wasn't expecting anything <laughs> and this man that was drunk in the spirit was walking around praying for people and we made eye contact and so he came over to me and all he did was he put his finger on my arm. I'll never forget it. And I flew to the ground, literally flew to the ground, and I became this rag doll. And for 20, 25 minutes, I shook violently, and my husband couldn't hold on to me. He had to let go. And he says, I have never seen anything that violent before, and he still hasn't seen anything that violent. I knew that it was God. I had absolutely no control over my body at all, but I knew it was God. I didn't know what it was. It, and just just think of the the irony of what she's saying. She says, "I know it was of God. I know it was God. I was thrown to the ground by a touch. I was a rag doll shaking violently." And she says she knows it was from God. But I would say, how did you know it was from God? What, what scripture would you have been able to say, man? That was in fulfillment of this. That was God's promise to do this. That was what the Spirit did here in and Acts or somewhere in the New Testament. And she doesn't. I mean, she obviously doesn't have anywhere to go to try to say this is of God. Uh, but this is how deceiving it is when you chase sensuality and you chase the experience and you chase satisfying um, different pleasures of feeling something and experience something and where you become driven by moves of the spirit to where you have to be able to see it. You have to be able to feel it. You have to be able to um, have the the ecstatic rush uh, that these things bring in, and, and yet it's the same. It's the same nonsense. It's the same um, out of control nonsense of being thrown to the floor, shaking violently, being out of control, having no control of your body or of your mind, and then attributing that to the spirit who says we have the spirit of self control, and we have the spirit um, who is orderly, and the spirit that causes us to be able to discern things. And th this is the, 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 you know, this is the epitome of having no discernment and the epitome of having no self-control. And the, you know, it's, it's just the total opposite. It's just the complete opposite. And these are coming from people like Bill Johnson and his wife who are leaders in this. And so you're hearing that, I mean, they're, they are deceiving with the things they've been deceived with. So the next day we came back to the conference and we sat towards the back and the speaker got up and he said one sentence and I was back on the floor. This time I wasn't shaking. I was sobbing and crying. And I laid on the floor and I said, Holy Spirit, what happened last night? I still get really emotional about that experience. And he said, I was shaking out of you the lies that you believed about yourself. And you may be able to comment on this too, but so think about the context she's setting up. Um, where she was sobbing. People often see like crying as a little bit more like, oh, that seems a little bit more normal. Like God's really dealing with that person. Um, but notice when she talks about why she's sobbing, um, it's not repentance. It, it's not a revealing of some wicked, gross sin in her life. It, it's not a revealing of how, f you know, um, far uh, she falls short of the glory of God. It, it is not that she has spurn God's name and, 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 and Christ's glory. And so, so there's no confession of sin. Um, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a falling down and crying because you've seen the holiness of God. 
and and because you've seen how an, as a sinner you're not able to come into God's presence in and of yourself. It's just it it, it becomes all about her. You know, I was sobbing in the Lord, and I asked the Lord, "Why is this happening?" And the Lord doesn't say, "You know, because you've." tarnished my name and this and that. And it's not about God. It's not about his glory. It's not about the gospel. It's well, because I just had to get the lies out of you because you're, it's, it just has this implication of you're just so important. Yeah. We just had to get the lies out of you, you know, and it's just like, you were so silly to not be able to do that. You just had it. We had to get rid of that. And it's just, it, it has nothing to do with God it has nothing to do with his glory. It's all about her. And it has nothing tied to when you see people fall down and cry and weep. It's over their sin being revealed. It's it's never this idea of well, we just had to get these things out of you so that you could go and be whatever I you know I've called you to be. It's it's just the exact opposite. Yeah, like you said, repentance, true repentance comes from seeing how holy God is, and then the fact that He would love us first by sending His Son to be what a propitiation a a removing of sin, taking away uh, our guilt and realizing then that we had that guilt and we owe this debt to God and and repentance, turning from that and crying out to God uh, to forgive you of that and and those tears of weeping that way. But like you said, her tears are the opposite. Her tears are, oh, the Holy Spirit told me that I was believing all these lies about myself. I'm actually way better than I've been yeah. thinking I have been. <laughs> the lies are that, oh, you're a sinner and you're, she doesn't say this, but what else could it be that the lies would be, um, you're not as good as you think you are and you should be ashamed of yourself and you do have guilt. Oh, those lies are being shaken out. I'm actually way better than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what Todd White said of the cross being a revealing of your worth and not of sin. Don't get me wrong. I believe the cross is God revealing his love to his people. But could there not have been a different way to do that than slaughtering his own son on an altar yeah. because of the wickedness of sin? Yeah. I mean, was it just God's love being shown? Um and and Jesus had to die a horrific death and drink down his father's wrath. And then uh, she says that, well, the revealing was really that I'm just actually really good. And I was thinking wrongly. Yeah. I mean, it's once again, opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says we should weep and mourn and, and rend our hearts and not our garments because of our sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to weeping because of your sin against the Lord. Yeah. And not, oh, you're way better than you think you are. The Bible tells you you're way worse than you think you are. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that makes Christ look all the more beautiful and all the more glorious. If God is that holy and I really am that wicked, oh, how much I need to cling to Christ. Mm. Not, well, I'm actually really good and I'm actually worth Christ dying for. So maybe he should come do it again just to make sure he purchases me. You know, it's like just so mixed and backwards. Yeah, and it reminds me of, you know, like Ezekiel 36 and 37. And you hear God giving this promise of a new covenant where he's going to take his people and give them new hearts and give them his spirit that they'll walk and step with his law, not to love him. But then in Ezekiel 37, he says, you know, house of Israel, I don't do this for your name's sake. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it because you've tarnished my glory among the nations, among the Gentiles. And so he says, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for me. Now, none of us would then say, well, that's not loving. 
God's not being loving to his people. Of course, he's filling his promises to his people, but his promises are always grounded to his people because he's sworn by himself to fulfill those promises. Not they're just so good. I got to fulfill this for them. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea is that she is really crying and, and weeping and hearing the spirit say, you know, you know, it's, we just, we had to get the stuff out of you for you to be better or something like, you know, Todd White saying, I believe you're as good as you yeah, believe really as you're, are. it's, it's like, well, you're not, you're, you really aren't worth it at all. Um, now God displays his love, like we've said, but he displays his love for a particular purpose. The end goal of being saved is not simply you just enjoying life better. It's God receiving glory. And to say you're worth the son of God dying for, the only begotten son of God, yeah. God in the flesh, and you a mere speck of dust that God has breathed life into. And then on top of that, a rebellious speck of dust that breaks God's laws and runs away from him. And then to say that you're worth the son of God coming and dying for, I mean, how prideful is that? Yeah. And and the Bible says that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I mean, what's what's more humbling to say, well, I'm just so worth it that God had to come and die for me, or to say, you know, I I am not worth it, and yet Christ still did that for me? What kind of God is this that would show such love to such sinful men, such specks of dust, you know? Yeah, and it just, it, it, it reminds me of um, thinking about, you know, the way in which you even present the gospel to people and in the way someone actually thinks and acts when they have the veil removed and the gospel is open to them and they, and they come to believe it's, it's never like, I mean, I just, you know, I finally realized how great I was or how worth it I was. It's so I came to Christ. God's grace is always highlighted by the fact one, not only did they not deserve it two, the giving of the grace was never intended to glorify them. It was, man, it, it just goes back to like when you're actually thinking about the love of God and it's good people want to talk about the love of God, but to really feel and understand the love of God, you have to understand that that love was not given to you out of a commitment that you had to receive it. Um, it wasn't out of an idea that grace was poured out upon you because you you did, you deserved it. The idea of grace and love being such a a uh, just being such a a highlight of God's plan to save people is He loved people who He ought not love like was ought not love, and He loved people who didn't deserve it, and He loved people whom He had no obligation to show love to, and this is just the exact opposite. This is God should have shown me love, and He did. You know, He's shown me these things in my life. Well, and look at just last thing to touch on that same subject, but you talking about he sh- sheds it on people who do not deserve it. I just read through the book of Hosea and that entire book is telling Hosea, <laughs> go and marry a prostitute and have children with her just so that she can leave you and go back to prostitution, but then yet continue loving her, a woman who does not deserve your love, who actually takes your love and throws it in the mud and goes back to prostituting herself with men who do not love her. And she's going to take the clothes that you buy her and the jewelry that you put on her, and she's going to go and use it to attract other men to prostitute herself again. And why are you doing that? Because that's what my people do to me, yet I'm still going to go and purchase them and Mm -hmm. 
love them. And you read in that book, I was rereading it again this morning, where he says, how can I cast you off, Ephraim? And how can I cast you out, Israel? For my heart burns with compassion within me for you. Even though you prostitute yourself with the very gifts that I give you, you use to attract false gods. Uh, You are not deserving of my love, but yet, like you said, for the honor of my name, because of my compassion, because I desire to lift my name high and glorify myself, I will save you. I will redeem you. I will shed my love upon you because (laughs) I choose to love those who should not be loved, who should by all natural means be cast out and never looked at again. But yet in utter rebellion and other in utter prostituting ourselves back to gods of this world, the Lord looks at us with mercy and compassion because he is compassionate, yeah. not because we're worth it, not because there's something good within us. I mean, does he look at you uh, prostituting yourself out to the world's gods and say, oh, he's just so worth it. I'm just going to purchase him. Yeah. No, he says, Though you are not worth it, I will show my love by by sending my son to die for your sin. Yeah, but, but there, there was a particular moment that very, it, it intrigues me because I believe it was a turning point in your life. It was an evening and uh, all of a sudden you had a visitation. Uh, were you expecting a visitation? Did you, were you caught unaware? Uh, yeah, we we had been experiencing a tremendous breakthrough in the recent months leading up to this. And this is Bill Johnson, by the way, interviewed by Sid Roth. I'd been crying out to God literally day and night. I'd wake up in the night praying, God, I must have more at any cost. And uh, this how, week, how important is it to be <clears throat> desperate like that? Oh, I, mean, I mean, did you hear what he said? He said he, he, he would wake up in the middle of the night. He would say constantly... God, I need more. I, I know it's there, but I don't have it. I need more at any cost. Now, that, that's a risky prayer. Yeah. That, well, that was the prayer, though, and it was genuine. It wasn't a careless prayer yes. whatsoever. Um, so I would, I would pray that continuously. And, and this one night, he just came into the room in a way that I had never realized or experienced before. I had absolutely no control of my body. I, to say I trembled is an absolute understatement. It was as though thousand volts of electricity is going through me. Had something and like this ever happened to you no, before? Nothing of that of that measure ever. Were you scared? Uh, no, because I knew it was him, but it wasn't pleasant. It was glorious, but not pleasant. It, physically, what was happening was was not this feel-good thing. And yet the Lord... Can uh, we pause for one exactly second three. as well? Just uh, I wanted to touch on this while I remembered it, but we talked a little bit about it last week, but right there where he says... <laughs> Sidroth asks him, are you scared? And he says, no, because I knew it was him. Mm -hmm. What do we see in the Bible when people know it is God? They're scared because they know it is him. Yeah. And Bill Johnson says, I was not scared because I know it is him. That is... Once again, the complete opposite is true in the Bible. Isaiah knows that it is the Lord that he sees high and lifted up. So he is terrified. The three apostles that get taken up with Jesus onto the Mount of Transfiguration, they hear the voice of God, so they are terrified. They fall down and pass out as though they died. Uh, There's, I mean, it's just, I don't get how it could be any more opposite than what the Bible says that, well, I knew it was God, so therefore I wasn't afraid. The Bible says, oh, I'm afraid because I know it is God. And so it's, I mean, it's just so blatant and obvious, which once again, I was in this movement and it wasn't obvious to me. 
I mean, the Lord had to open my eyes to it. I used to watch Sid Roth all the time mm. and I, and I loved it. And I was like, Oh, I got to get some of that supernatural because I thought that's what it was all about. Cause I didn't know God's word well enough yet, but knowing God's word helps you to see that. Okay. He just said something that's completely opposite of God's word. So I just, I had to comment on that real quick because to say I, I didn't fear because I knew it was him. Well, I mean, maybe he doesn't understand God's holiness rightly then and who he is in front of God. I understand people may argue, well, we have Christ and he's our covering. And so therefore we can just not be afraid, but we're still called to fear God, even though we have Christ as our covering, not a fear of uh, those who are saved in him are going to have eternal wrath, but he is the almighty creator of the universe who is holy and we are called to fear him still to fear him rightly and reverentially. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Isaiah's words is, and I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Mm -hmm. He yeah. feared because he knew who it was. Yeah, He thought he was dead <laughs> because the Lord showed up. It's, and that's always, the response by any of God's prophets in the Old Testament or in the New with someone like John is he falls down in fear um, because of the revelation of God. He doesn't fall down and go, yeah, it wasn't pleasant, but I was, I knew I was okay because yeah. I, I knew it was this. It was opposite. And he was the disciple Jesus loved. And <laughs> yeah. when Jesus shows up, he falls on his face. Yeah. I mean, Bill Johnson didn't walk physically with Christ for three years laying on his breast at dinner and and then when Jesus shows up again, John is like yeah. terrified, you know. So yeah, yeah. And I had just given a word to a friend of mine the previous evening that God was going to touch him, and it could be at three in the morning, it could be at any time of the day. And I mentioned three in the morning, and so when this thing hit, I turned my head. Hey, let me get this straight. <laughs> In other words, what he did was he gave a prophetic word to someone else. But it was really for himself or maybe for both of you. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happened is at 3 a.m., this thing hit me like a freight train. And I had enough ability to turn my head. I saw the clock, 3 a.m., and I said out loud, you set me up. Because I, I knew exactly. Mm -hmm. I had prophesied that word to a friend. Hmm. And there I was with this divine encounter. This thing hit me. 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 And that's what I see happening right now. Is there's a dramatic increase of presence, and the Lord is is um, what I think is I think he's he's wanting to raise up a generation of people that will learn to live from the presence of God, as opposed to merely living from the principles of God, and that's a big deal, because the principles they're there, there is success, but with presence, there is no failure. And that's what the Lord is looking for, is for a company of people that will just carry presence. And to, you know, to translate what he's saying is, you got to, like you said earlier, this is just language of you got to get beyond the Bible. You have to get beyond the written word. You have to start getting into the presence or pretty much saying you have to start getting into these experiences. You have to start um, having the supernatural overtake your life if you want to not fail. You might have success with the Bible, but if you want to get beyond just success, 
You got to go beyond it. Well, he says there's some success. And then what does that even mean there in, in the principles, there's some success, but in the presence, there's no failure, but yet 80% of what we say is wrong. (laughs) It's like, how does that even make sense? We take something that's black and white. You can read it. It always says the same thing. It's never wrong, which is what he's talking about when he says principles is the word of God. You say it is actually never wrong. And he says, uh, well, sometimes there's success in the principles, but in the presence, there is no failure, except yeah. for the 80% of the time that we're wrong when we say something when we're in the presence. I mean, that they just the stuff they say does not fit together. If you, if you, I mean, maybe you can sit in one of their sermon, if you can call it a sermon, you sit in one of their TED Talk sessions and it's. Okay, I guess what he said kind of all fits together with whatever dream he had this week. But if you go over all of them, all the way back from a couple years ago to now, there's going to be so many things that contradict other things they've said. Then the presence, there's no failure yet. The guy he's with regularly says 80% of what they say is wrong. And Bill Johnson says things that are wrong all the time. Yeah. So clearly he's not in the presence of God then. If in the presence, there's no failure. And yet the one thing, there is no failure. He says, ah, there's some success in the Bible. (laughs) So does he believe in the inerrancy of scripture? He can't possibly, if he says sometimes it's right. Yeah. And it's just crazy. And it just asks you, you know, what's, what's the end goal? What is success? What, what does it look like to not fail? Uh, And, and for them, it's going to look completely different than what the Bible says. It's going to look different than every tribe, tongue, nation coming in to worship Christ for what he's done instead of it's going to be this, well, everyone's going to have a move of the spirit. Everyone's going to start feeling this. There's going to be all this change and all this. You just, you end up getting these two different paths. You get two different ends. And I think, uh, that that's exactly what, what he is, is talking about. Um, there's, there's going to be some success that are, that is going to lead you through the principles or what we would call the Bible. And then there's going to be the unfailingness of this move of the spirit. And you can kind of see that this is why Bill Johnson's very important in this. Um, he has this multi-generational vision that there's going to be this next wave, this next generation who's going to push and move this forward and really bring the it forerunners. about. And so when you think of something like the send, which just happened not too long ago, this is exactly what these things are built for. It's built to make the hype for the next generation. It's to get all these young kids involved who are going to push this further and further. And it, it's there to attract people like Todd White. It's there to attract people, unfortunately, um, right now, like Francis Chan, because these are people who are younger, who are vibrant, who are going to bring in even younger people and is going to attract this next generation. And so they're really looking to not just simply um, write down a message in a book and leave it at that. They, They want to see this move on into the next generation. Because then we impact every room we walk into. We impact every group that we talk to because our words become spirit, the way Jesus taught in John 6. We change the atmosphere of cities. When he put the spirit of the resurrected Christ in us, when he put him in me, he expected me to conquer something. He expected me to bring fruit. Okay, you talk a lot about the scripture that says uh, where Jesus prayed uh, that the kingdom of God 
would take place on earth. Thy yeah. kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that is a major statement. Uh, yeah. Is that how you live your life? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's my focus. I, I try. I mean, that's my whole life is, I don't, there is no plan B. You know, he gave us a very clear example in how he lived and a very clear commission in what he told us to do. And it, it is to bring the reality of his dominion to earth over any and every situation. And that's, uh, that's, that's my passion. That's our passion. And so that's the end of those clips. And I put the, that one on the end because you kind of get this cap of the theology from the beginning. You get all of the weirdness in the middle. And then you get this description by Bill Johnson himself. One, he's kind of the visionary leader pushing this forward. And this is really what they're, what they're trying to ground it in, this idea of the kingdom of God being made manifest here on the earth, where it just completely has dominion over everything. And so they're really, they're trying to borrow all of this language that you do find in scripture, talking about Christ's kingdom and Christ's rule and Christ's reign. But then you got to ask yourself the question, once you get to the end of this and you get to done listening to all of this, are they borrowing uh, that language appropriately? Are what they're saying that they're set out to do as far as establishing God's kingdom and seeing dominion being taken over all of these different areas, is it actually coming under uh, the authority of Christ? Is it actually coming under his lordship? Is it actually coming under the authority of his word? Is it growing because of the preaching of the gospel? Or do they see this dominion as all wrapped up in this big spiritual, sensual movement where people are going to get brought into the movement through all these experiences and moves of the Spirit and thinking about what they do out in like Reading, where they go around to their community and they try to heal people and they try to speak, um, you know, words of, of prophecy to people. And so by the time you get to something like this, you don't want to be fooled because that sounds so Christian, right? That just has like Christianese language written all over it. Um, but none of us thinks that we go out and we, we are the ones who are taking dominion. Um, as, you know, as, as, as an ambassadors, as those who preach a message, it is Christ who takes dominion through his church, but it is not us going in and taking control of all these different things and, and being the ones who um, are, are implementing these things. It's through the preaching of the gospel. But hopefully by the time you've gotten to the end of this, you understand that the gospel that we've talked about, death, burial, resurrection, of people having sins forgiven, being made right with God, uh, of, of receiving the Spirit that produces then in them things that mark the very character of God, of self-control, of love, of patience, of peace, of joy, all these different things, is, is the complete opposite of what the NAR is promoting and what they think uh, the gospel message is. And I don't think you have to, to go on any further to understand that their understanding of the gospel is completely different than where the Bible um, presents the gospel and the way it presents living a Christian life and what it means to be spiritual and what it means to see the gospel go forth and what it means to see God's kingdom grow. And if you notice, not once in all of those clips that we played that they ever talk about the kingdom of God going through sinners coming into the kingdom. There's, there's never talk about people being born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. 
that they must experience the 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 heart transplant of Ezekiel 36 of having a heart removed that's a heart of stone and having a heart of flesh put in them where they obey God and walk according to his law and they love God. Um, there's there's none of that. There's none of that talk. And that's because you have a different gospel, you have a different end, you have a different goal. And so that that kind of wraps up our, um, our at least preview and discussion of clips from these people. And we wanted to play them for you because we want you to hear from their own lips what they say. We don't want you just to take our word for it. We want you to hear what they have to say and what they're actually about. So that ends this part three of our discussion of the NAR. And I think we're actually going to end up doing one more part. Um, now we can start talking about this on this episode and give a, a little bit of a... Can I make one comment yeah, before we yeah. talk about that, though? Just regarding... Um, like we said, we want to be loving to our brethren and the lost that are being led astray into this, thinking that they're knowing God rightly. But this is not a Christian movement. This is uh, this movement is outside of orthodoxy. So if you believe all the stuff that they're saying, this is not an orthodox Christianity. This is a false Christianity with a false gospel. Um, like you said, they don't they don't talk a lot about um, entering the kingdom of God by being born again. When Todd White and them go out to do evangelism, quote unquote, it's giving people, it's giving people a warmth in their armpit or a cold in their armpit or making their leg grow and then never actually getting to the gospel. You can watch all of Todd White's stuff when he goes out. The gospel to him is God made your leg longer and God loves you so much. All right, bye. And that's it. And yeah. and so there's not there's not a gospel being presented. Their gospel is that God wants to give you a sign, and then therefore one day they're going to believe, or now they're going to believe in Jesus, a Jesus that they don't even know. They're the Jesus they're giving is the Jesus of the sign, and Jesus says a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and so. Uh, they're once again taking something the Bible says that is wicked and adulterous to only seek for a sign. Not that God won't sometimes give a miracle to somebody or heal somebody, but that they're only seeking to give signs to people. And the Bible says if you're doing that, it's wicked and adulterous, that that it's idolatrous because you're actually you're actually seeking the supernatural above God. And I there's another podcast on uh, apologia where the guy there's a guy coming out of new age or he came out of the new age and yeah he i didn't listen to the whole thing but something he said regarding the nar movement is that they've made their god the supernatural that god isn't god the supernatural is their god so you see mm. that so clearly with heidi baker just the clip we listened to it you don't hear jesus being her god you hear the supernatural being her god oh, okay fire fire come down he's rolling on the ground they're screaming they're shaking they're twitching bill johnson uh uh, something supernatural happened in my hotel room. His wife, I was supernaturally rolling around on the ground and crying. How much more is the supernatural and this, this spiritual aspect talked about more than our holy God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? And the, their yeah. God is the supernatural. So I just wanted to 
to say that don't think that, oh, well, okay, I don't agree with everything in this movement, but I'm still in a Christian movement because it's not a Christian movement. And I would yes. urge you um, to prove that to you. I would I would strongly urge you to read the book Defining Deception by Kosti Hinn. That is a, a wonderful book. He came, like Aaron already said, that he's the nephew of Benny Hinn. He came out of the movement and he writes mostly on um, his uncle, Benny and the family, and then uh, Bill Johnson. But the reason why he writes on Bill Johnson is because Bethel is the most known of the NAR churches, and he really breaks down theologically why this is not a Christian movement. He breaks down the heresy that's coming out of it because all this weird stuff, them rolling around on the ground, okay, we could look at that and say they're extremely confused, but Maybe there's not heresy in that. I believe it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit at the least. So the, yeah. they're blasphemers of God. But Costihin uh, breaks down what the heresies are, and a lot of it's on the the kenosis theory and believing that Bill Johnson and them teaching that Jesus emptied himself completely and that he wasn't fully God when he was on heaven, but then trying to wipe it away. I believe he was fully God and fully man to clear themselves and protect themselves, but... There in that book, I, I plead with you and I urge you, if you're part of this movement, if you're curious about this movement, if you don't believe that it's not Orthodox Christianity, you think that it's still a Christian movement, please read that book. And that will lead you to some other resources and uh, maybe something you can watch online, especially American Gospel. Watch that. But figure out for yourself by reading the Word of God. Be a Berean. Paul uh said that that these were more noble than anyone else, the Bereans, because when he spoke, they went home and they judged what he said by the scriptures. So if you're part of this movement, if you're listening to it, if you've heard it, I mean, it's sweeping people in. It's got 400 million followers around the world, which is more than the population of America. So if you think there's not people in your churches, if you think there's not friends that you know that are actually being um, lured by this and enticed by this, I guarantee you, you probably know somebody that is listening to Jesus culture, which is what we're going to talk about next week. That is uh, listening to Bill Johnson that is interested in these things. You need, you owe it to be your brother's keeper, to love the body, to look into this and, yep. and decide for yourself and see for yourself that this is not a Christian movement. This is a different gospel yes. and, and, and it's, it's a blaspheming who God is. And yes, we love these people. We love, we want to see people come out of the movement, but first and foremost, we are to be men who defend the glory of God. We are to be men who fight against blasphemies of God, the Holy Spirit. We need to be men who fight for the gospel. So first and foremost, we need to defend God and we need to defend the gospel with 400 million people involved in this and sweeping more in every day. Whole churches are being lost to this movement and we're called to help to bring purity to the body of Christ, to bring purity to the gospel. So, so we desire to do that and we desire you to do that as well and to, and to know rightly what the gospel is, to know that this is a dangerous heretical movement. And that's, that would just be my plea is to read that book and understand and decide for yourself um, why this is not a Christian movement. Yeah, and I'll, I'll link to a bunch of those things you mentioned in the show notes because I want to... I do want to give re I do want to give links because I think it'd be helpful. I don't think I've done it in the last couple, but to have links towards good resources, um, P 
people who have gone even more in depth than we have. Cause we're, I mean, as much as we've covered in what probably now four hours worth of material, um, we still have just scratched the surface on a lot of the theology behind it. And a lot of the, uh, even the um, psychology and sociology that goes behind um, a lot of these spiritual movements. So yeah, there's a, the another one more website, yeah, yeah. but it's no, called it, Spirit of Error. Spirit of Error, and that's a, a woman. I believe it might be her and her husband. I'm not entirely sure, but she that entire website is basically dedicated to the NAR movement, helping to discern why these things are wrong, why they're um, not biblical, why they're not Christian, and so that's a. Uh, Spirit of Error is okay, the Spirit is the website. So she actually does a a lot um, to help expose what's going on there. Okay. Well, that so we'll put those in the show notes, and on those show notes, you'll find a couple of the book recommendations. We'll do some of the uh, other interviews and documentaries that have been done, and then we'll also link to a couple of other websites that you can go on and and look for yourself. And just the last thing I can throw in there is, you know, when we're talking about the NAR. And I think I think you gave a, a great uh, summary of what it really is. It's a it's a pursuit of the supernatural and not of Christ. And if you go back and let's go back and listen to part two, uh, we really covered this with several different verses. But th- if you ever read a good book on the Holy Spirit, and I would recommend uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book entitled "The Holy Spirit." It's a fantastic book, and when you get done reading that, you realize that the New Testament presents the Spirit in such a way that it is so connected and in close with Christ that in, in Paul and in Corinthians can talk about the spirit of Christ in reference to the Holy Spirit. And so the spirit is always pictured as the spirit who highlights, who exalts, who opens people's eyes, not to the supernatural, but to Christ. Mm-hmm. The Spirit always drives us to Christ. It always highlights His ministry. It always highlights His work. It always highlights the power of Christ, not the power of the Spirit going around and you know imparting um, some supernatural you know superpowers to people, but instead it's to highlight Christ. And so if you have a movement who highlights the spiritual over Christ, you don't have the Spirit of Christ. You don't have the Spirit. And like you said, you don't have Christianity you have a different form under the name of Christianity, but you really have a completely different religion. And a different spirit. And a different spirit. Because that spirit will never highlight himself. He will never highlight his gifts over Christ. And his gifts obviously are highlighted in Scripture as different than the gifts that these people claim they are. So next next time we'll, we'll do a part four and... Uh, I don't know. We're just going to keep going and see where this goes uh, because we, we want to make a series that's helpful. And so if we if we think we can cover as much as we can, uh, we will. So uh, tune in next time when we do part four of the NAR and um, Dave kind of give the, the cliffhanger uh, for you. We're going to be diving into um, the music that comes out of Bethel and the music that comes out of the movement highlighted in somebody like Jesus culture. So stay tuned for that episode and Dave will be joining me once again for part four of our series on the NAR. Thanks for listening to the episode, everyone. You can go find the full series of the NAR on warcrimemedia.com. But stay tuned as we get ready to release part five of our series on the new apostolic reformation. Trust me, you are not going to want to miss this one. 
Until then, go check us out at warcrimemedia.com. And until next time, go turn the world upside down for Christ. Correct my posture. My posture. Popsicle. Popsicles are postureful. A pastor was popping popsicles into his <laughs> <laughs> perpendicular purple apostrophes were pastoring. gonna go in the outtakes right at the end so glad that's recording i'm gonna enjoy this for a long time just warming up just warming warming up warming up our vocal cords ventricular vocal vehement vocal cords